0: If that's the case, then you should know that what you're about to listen to is a tabletop role-playing game where five people roll dice and tell a story of science fiction and survival horror using the Mothership game system by Tuesday Night Games. It was originally formatted for YouTube, but the records have been modified for an optimal audio experience. However, be warned. This is a survival horror podcast, and there may be descriptions of violence, gore, psychological terrorism, mental trauma that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still out there, then make sure you have your stim packs ready, and whatever refreshments you may need. I'm starting the data recording playback now. Safe Space, Episode Four. Audio file name: Wake Up Call.
1: Hello, and welcome to Safe Space, Episode Four. My name is Vince Hunt, and I am the game master slash warden for what would usually be a tabletop role playing show, where myself and four amazing players run a campaign based on the Mothership system from the awesome Tuesday Night Games. But this particular episode is going to be a little different than what we usually run. Why is that? Well, I got together with Jim, Lizzie, Gavin and PJ. And we did indeed run a fourth session of the game. And there was we rolled dice. There were some great story moments. Some real character development. And a fun night was had by all. But unfortunately those technical demons came back to bite us and... The recording was essentially lost, um, which was um, upsetting. That's the that's the short way to put it. However, the show does indeed go on, um, and rather than lose everything and have a gap, yeah, I mean you don't read a novel and like you miss a chapter. So, and the importance of making notes to all our um, DMs, GMs, and players out there, um, because we all had notes and uh, wonderful things that happened, and we got together. So this is this particular episode is going to be a, a different style of format. I'm going to be recapping what happened in the in the session, letting you know letting you know the the beats and certain sort of story moments that happened, so the next episode. You won't have missed anything story-wise. You will know exactly where we are. Um, it'll all make sense when it gets going, and um, I've, I've got my script ready. <laughs> so uh, hopefully this this should be a bit of fun. But I do I do want to just put out a shout, a couple of shout-outs before we get going. One to um, Tuesday Night Games themselves and this awesome. If you go go to mothershiprpg.com um, to get the zero edition of the game. Um, we're playing first edition. Um, so there's there's a few sort of amendments to it but still means that I get to scare my players to death on a regular basis and really mess with their heads um but and there may be some moments in the recap where I talk about some of the technical things this session was definitely more RP based and a lot of character development rather than action and explosions and all kinds although as you'll hear in in a moment there was a little bit of that as well um and i'll explain a couple of like the mechanical bits as we go so um i think before we get uh, i'm gonna stop rambling now I'm, I'm just gonna get on get on with it and i'll, I'll do a few shout outs at the end as well of course so without further ado let's all find out what happened on chapter four of safe space we left off, the crew of the Susan O'Brien were still aboard the derelict satellite relay station Echo 237. They had encountered and dealt with a hostile life form that dwelt within its walls, before gathering themselves and searching for more salvage within the structure. They chose not to explore the living quarters of the structure and instead switched off the power and began stripping it apart, sending the scrap back to their ship. Whilst the rest of the crew were on the exterior of the station, inside the android Dick Sloan encountered another strange anthropomorphic... It was a strange spider-like, mechanical, techno-organic creature which attacked him. The rest of the crew heard his cries, leading to a spectacular entrance by Zan Brazil. They all leapt in to help and sent this strange thing out into space. Not before it could do some damage to Dick's suit and himself because of that they decided it was time to leave and made to climb out of the hole that Zam had created for said spectacular entrance and that was when something that had been lurking in the depths of the vessel climbed out a creation of metal and flesh with the torso of an android entangled within it it climbed up lashed out and caught Dick Sloan as he was attempting to climb out of the structure Despite the rest of the crew's efforts, they could not wrench the nightmare free, and Dick's torso was pulled into its jagged maw. He fought as hard as he could, but it was Wendy who managed to pull him free. Or at least, part of him. As the unfortunate android was torn in two, his upper body pulled to safety by Wendy and Dr. Forrest, and his legs disappearing into the mouth of the creature. Zam shoulder-barged the entire group backwards towards the waiting O'Brien, piloted by Captain Austin. And she had skillfully piloted it into place. And as they shut the airlock doors, they saw the creature appear on the exterior of the relay station, from the same hole that they had escaped from. And that's where we picked up Episode 4. As Captain Austin began pulling the ship away from the satellite, and to relative safety the crew wasted no time in taking action. Concerned about their interaction with an unknown alien substance, Wendy and Dr. Forrest immediately went to the ship's decontamination chamber to wash their soups, and what was left of the android, of any potentially hazard materials. Zam Brazzle had other ideas. He headed straight to the pilot seat of the ship's industrial laser cutter. Fueled by anger, he aimed towards the horrific creature and fired he missed at least his first shot instead he sheared off a good chunk of the relay itself his second shot connected and he cut the station in half and obliterated the monster along with it shortly afterwards the remains of Dick Sloan were brought up to the planning office where the captain brought in an old looking maintenance unit and hooked up what was left of the android up to it this made him briefly more lucid and completely unaware of what had happened to him, until he saw for himself. The captain broke the news to him that his systems were badly damaged, and for him to stand a chance of any kind of retrieval, they needed to put him into storage until they could get home. Get him fixed, and in the words of the captain herself, make him an entirely new man. He asked for a rendition of one of his favourite show tunes, and the captain obliged with a quiet and sombre rendition of Wandering Star. It was a moment that the warden was unprepared for and one of those classic players deciding to throw their GM under the bus. But it made for a wonderfully funny moment which the rest of the crew also began to join in on this quiet sombre rendition of a musical classic that you'll find in the movie Paint Your Wagon. Then, after a few final words of gratitude and goodbye from the crew, with a flick of the switch the android janitor known as Dick Sloan, was switched off. The captain, clearly upset by this, spoke with the crew about the events that took place on the relay station. Then they all took the remains of Sloan down to the and- android's maintenance bay of the ship and popped him safely into storage. Then, the crew, upon seeing an empty goldfish bowl, discovered that Sloan believed he had a pet goldfish aboard the ship. This turned out to be a gentle ruse by the captain who after seeing what such a thing meant to the old android kept a small holographic projector within the bowl and gave Dick small shreds of plastic that he thought were fish food to keep it alive. It was another reminder of what a gentle and generous soul the android was and his loss was never more prevalent. Captain Austin instructed the crew to get cleaned up medically checked over and then write a report of the whole situation before trying to rest up for the next leg of their journey as the crew was getting the final all clear from Dr. Forrest the doctor himself was then informed that he would need to prepare a wake up call this was junker slang for when someone was woken up from cryosleep and needed to be medically cleared before starting work now In terms of uh, the mechanics of Mothership, when you go in and out of cryosleep, it's not an easy save point um, for people to go into cryosleep. When they awaken, they... I mean, as you imagine we would be. We'd feel rough. Very, very sick indeed. And mechanically, what this does, you're you're sluggish, you're slow, um, you've got a banging headache, you feel sick, and this lasts for a week after hypersleep um, mechanically it means that you have disadvantage on all of your roles for one week if you don't get it checked out which is pretty harsh and the players certainly thought oh no when I told them this however if you have a med bay, they, or this can be mitigated as it says in the player's handbook with upgraded cryo chambers of which this particular ship doesn't necessarily have them um, where if you've got a real flashy high tech cryo chamber you won't suffer from the cryosickness if you don't have those it can be instantly cured with a stim pack now what is a stim pack where well, exactly what it says on the tin it's a sort of a, a, a sci-fi sort of injection of stimulants that help heal um but it's not like a healing potion that you find in, in a lot of games a stim pack is basically um it cures cryosickness as it says it restores 1d10 health and grants advantage to strength and combat for 2d10 minutes um this means it is like an adrenaline shot that will immediately um just give your player a little bit more health and probably just get them completely wired um there is a danger with using these things of addiction and an overdose if if used frequently, so you can't just sit there just absolutely just pumping your arms full of this stimulation <laughs> injection because you'll probably die, or something bad will happen. Not that anything bad happens in this game, but but yes, but a, st- a stim pack is always handy to have if you need it. Enough. so a member of a Beta Shift was brought out of cryo was picked and brought out of cryo a former military man by the name of Blaze Kelvin all machismo, a little tact he is a man who obeys orders and is always ready for action and I will say he is also played by Gav Mitchell and is an amazing other side of the coin, a very different character from Dick Sloan and is going to be very interesting to watch over the next few sessions But Blaze was awoken and debriefed by the captain. But not before Dr. Forrest tried to convince him that he was to be the new ship janitor. Which is another PvP moment, which um, which I thought was quite funny. (laughs) Also, he got the stem pack and he was all hopped up on adrenaline for about 15 minutes, I believe it was. And that might have played into the way he acted later, but we'll get to that in a moment after the events of Echo 237 the captain wanted to bring someone in who could handle themselves and take orders and Kelvin was just the man his job was to help the crew and if needed make sure they all get home safely she didn't take into account Kelvin's bristling personality however and especially mixed with the adrenaline from the stim pack, upon the crew's first time together the ex-marine immediately rubbed the rest of them the wrong way the loss of Sloane still fresh, they were in no mood for Blaze's bull in a china shop mentality, and he and Zam almost came to blows, which was quite an image because Zam Brazeau is five foot five and uh, Blaze Kelvin is six foot five, so picture that in your minds. Things did not escalate, however, and over the next few days of travel, the crew had a chance to relax and try and de-stress. Now, obviously, in this game there are stress the stress mechanic is quite a thing and to anyone looking to play this game it's interesting seeing that stress mechanic actually take physical manifestation within your players as their their characters get more stress it means they may panic and bad things may happen to them but also the players are totally aware of the stress levels rising and getting worse it can be solved in in a couple of different ways and there's something called comfort saves uh, in this game. If you have a moment, this isn't like a, a like a short rest or something like Imagine if you were the film Aliens, if they were to stop in a room, it's not like they could just stop for an hour and they wouldn't be stressed. That's a high stress environment, so you could not do that. However, between encounter, between encounters, between missions, between whatever your game happens to be, if you can re- if your players can reach a place. Say a, say a space station, where there's things like hotels, casinos, or you know just nice places to stay. Or if, if the players can talk a GM into an, uh, an a good way for them to de-stress, what would help clear their minds? Then they make a roll. Each of those places has a number. Just say like y- your standard sort of um, ship would be fifty. Just just say fifty. The player can then take a chance. They can roll. A comfort save. If they get underneath that comfort save, then they can take that the number they rolled, divided by 10, and that is how many stress they can take off their current tally. Which could be, if it's in a very... You know, if it's a high, highly plush place, it will be a high number, but you're probably going to be paying a lot for that. So you have to think about what to do. And also, it is very much... You have to plan as well because if you fail the role you're going to get another stress so you've got to weigh it up you can get advantage on these roles for instance if if one of your players is a, is a therapist for instance you've decided to play this kind of psychological therapist or someone like that you can if a player says oh can they talk to me for an hour you know for a couple of days can I sort of relieve my woes with this character then the GM can say that's great you can totally have advantage with that and of course, as we know in these games, advantage is always well. I, I don't know whether it says in the book, but I would say w- with a homebrew, because obviously criticals are when you get doubles on the on the dice, um, that with the comfort saves, I, I'm probably going to do a rule where if they, get, if they have to get 50 and they roll a 33, I would say that would double the amount that they de-stress. But that's purely a homebrew rule. That's not necessarily, you know... A lot of these games, and Mothership's a wonderful um, example of it, that you can take the rules and make them your own in, in its own way as well. Um, so, I'm sure there's people going who will scream at me while watching this show, this isn't how you play this game. But we're playing, we're playing the game that's given us the, the most fun and I don't want to hinder the players while they're doing it. Because certainly some of their roles are hindering them enough, but we get to that later. So that's the comfort saves, which is another great mechanic in this game. You know, uh, it's, it's another way to—it's it's, a—it's a ray of hope for players if they can make it to that moment. Maybe they'll be able to de-stress. There may be other ways to de-stress as well, but you might find that out in future episodes. Anyway, despite um, so the the. The team all tried to de-stress over the next couple of days and you'll find out in the next episode how well that did Um, i'm not going to give you all the details right now um, because we'll go through some bits afterwards and uh, but i will say that the trauma of the relay station lingered with them all for the entire journey that was also not not more prevalent than with wendy who while she was on the relay station suffered a panic response, which means she had an ongoing condition, and her condition was nightmares, and she suffered one. One of her old life, where she was dressed head to toe in tactical armour, had a high-powered sniper rifle and was in position to take out a high-value target. Her spotter, a figure with the word Songbird emblazoned on his greaves, pointed out the targets, which when she looked through the sight, looked suspiciously like her, Zam and Dr. Forrest dragging the torn torso of Dick Sloan to safety. Interestingly, she aimed at herself and planned to pull the trigger. But when she did so, the rifle seemingly came to life in her hands. Technoorganic tendrils of bone and wire sprang forth and wrapped around her hands and burst from the ground to hold her legs in place. Her spotter urged her over and over to take the shot. Pleaded with her, in fact, and when she looked back at him she saw that he too was no longer in one piece. His head had been brutally damaged, leaving only a scene of gore and horror, as only the lower half of his face was still complete, its tongue lolling out like a limp piece of meat. This bloody manifestation of death then lunged towards her, causing her to wake up, drenched in sweat and unable to sleep easy. that also means, because Wendy's suffering nightmares... She gets disadvantage on her comfort saves. But we'll find out how that went on the next episode. Zam kept to himself over the journey over the rest of the journey, choosing to spend time with his beloved engines rather than his own crewmates. It was unclear how the advent, events of two three seven had affected him, so but one thing was sure he was pretty stressed about it all. Blaze Calvin himself began helping out where he could those still managing to ruffle feathers with his constant workout routines throughout the vessel. There was a point, though, where he did speak to Wendy, and the two realised they had something in common. Both had titanium toothpicks, which were only given out to those who enlisted in the military. Strangely, they had both named these toothpicks as well, and the tension between them dulled somewhat. However, it seemed that Blaze's past was one he was more fond of, and Wendy's was one she was eager to move on from, something she told him in no uncertain terms. Elsewhere, Dr. Forrest was approached by the captain about what was next for the crew. They were headed towards the Icarus, a high-class executive-level vessel, a cruise ship in space, but one that was having problems, and they had to help them out with their communication issues. But the O'Brien desperately needed one of that ship's spare hyperdrive coils if they stood any chance of getting home. So she asked Dr. Forrest to lead the crew into that vessel. While the rest of them were fixing the technical issues, he was given the job of trying to charm someone on board to help the O'Brien out with getting the coil. A little we scratch your back you scratch ours" move that could benefit everyone. Forrest agreed, and was sent a digital, digital manifest of the Icarus crew to see if he could I- identify who best to speak with. Whilst looking through, he also spotted unusually a passenger manifest within it, which must have been accidentally attached, and was surprised to see a name that he recognised amongst the tourists aboard the ship. Although for the life of him, he could not remember why he, remember- he knew them. Finally, the O'Brien caught up with the Icarus and after hailing them and informing them that they were here to help, pulled alongside and attached a mechanical docking bridge between the two vessels. Forrest, Blaze and Zam, and Wendy, all suited up, picked up their tools and headed over to the enormous ship, which was a sleek and glorious behemoth to behold. The Icarus is a vast ship, very much a cruise liner in space, small panels of light here and there like viewing a skyscraper at night. One of the more notable parts of this space Titanic was towards the rear of the vessel, where a large dome made up of reflective hexagonal panels resided. What was beneath those panels was anyone's guess, but it was certainly impressive to see. Unlike the O'Brien, a lot of the visible engineering aspects of the vessel were also covered up by large, sleek-looking panels. One of those panels features a symbol of a bird-like wing with the profile silhouette of a figure with a halo above the head. Next to this was the word Icarus in big, bold, corporate font. And underneath the words, Sicat Somnia Volumus, which I've probably murdered that Latin <laughs> description there, but it does also mean, like dreams, we shall fly. Forest led the crew across the the bridge into this ship, and after removing their vac suits, they were alo- allowed to board fully. Not before Wendy saw some of the the on board um, corporate vac suits, which were sleeker, cleaner, had like dark blue and silver and gold piping on them. As soon as she saw those, she decided to uh just chip away at one of them and and pull a little bit of the gold decorative piping the vaccine for herself probably for a future craft project and so they stepped across the threshold of this sojourn class ship and were faced immediately with a scene of extravagance and opulence none more apparent than in the form of a large and impressive circular staircase leading them upwards to the floors above as an over-the-top and very corporate welcome video began playing Welcome into the ship and telling them all the things aboard you know what they what if you've ever been on a flight and they're telling you about all the fantastic on-board entertainment etc it was that kind of thing but as that was playing another thing became apparent despite them waiting around for a little while no one had come to greet them to discuss the work to be done in fact there seemed to be no one around at all and that was where we left our story. You have been listening to Safe Space, a tabletop role-playing podcast featuring the Mothership game system by Tuesday Night Games. Playing the game were Jim Bamfield as Zan Brazzle, Lizzie Boyle as Wendy, Gavin Mitchell as Dick Sloan, PJ Montgomery as Dr. Bill Forrest, and Vince Hunt as the Game Warden. Podcast produced and edited by Vince Hunt. In-game music composed by Tabletop Audio. Visit tabletopaudio.com to discover a world of ambient music you can use in your home games. The Safe Space Theme was composed by Elliot Red. Find more of Elliot's work on YouTube. To find out more about the Mothership RPG system, visit MothershipRPG.com. Follow the show on social media at SafeSpaceRPG, And for more podcasts, visit LawBreaker.podbean.com. This has been a LawBreaker Radio production.